Hey, welcome back Screen Crush, I'm Ryan Airy, and let's talk about that huge cliffhanger of Loki Season 4 and where the show is at right now. I have a theory on that ending that's going to directly set up Secret Wars that you don't want to miss. And a little later, I'm going to hear from our friends Adam and Colton to get their thoughts, but first, here's my take on what's going on here. This season, Loki is fighting a real uphill battle. What do you mean by that? Well, first of all, it debuted the day after Ahsoka ended during Thursday Night Football. So there was a lot of people who didn't realize the show was even on, and the actors can't promote the show because they're all on strike, which by the way, how the hell is that strike still going on? Studios pay these actors what they're worth and get them back to work. But apart from the lack of promotion, fan enthusiasm for the MCU is at a bit of a low tide. Fans feel burned by the sloppiness of Secret Invasion, and there's so much Marvel out there that it's starting to be devalued in the eyes of fans. There used to be this feeling that everything that was Marvel mattered. You had to watch every chapter to understand the full story. And now, well, it's kind of hard to know what's important and what's not. But shouldn't art simply exist as art that is enjoyable and fun to watch, and not because consumers are pressured to consume as much content as possible? Yes, but look, this show, Loki, is both good and important for the MCU. This is not only setting the stage for the multiverse saga in a kick-ass Avengers Secret Wars movie, but this is some of the best character work we've ever seen in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it has been an absolute joy covering this show, making breakdown videos, and theorizing with all of you. Shows like this are really special for all of us, because it's a moment when we can be excited or disappointed about something together. And I'm saying all this because it's true. We are only here because of you, and without your support, this channel would not exist. This is not my channel. This is our channel. I want to thank all of you so much for shopping at our new merch store at ScreenCrushMerch.com. Now, we design all of these shirts ourselves with Loki-inspired merch like Doug is Loki, the Miss Minutes Dolly Clock, and the way more creepy Miss Minutes I'll Be Your Girl pinup shirt. Now, my two favorite collections from this line, though, are the variant pullover and zip-up hoodies. And notice that Colton did this really cool parody of the TVA logo to make it look like a VHS Screen Crush tape, and it reads, Be Kind, Rewind, Always. And my personal favorite is the usual variant shirt made to mimic the usual suspects movie poster but it parodies time travelers from all of film and tv including marty and doc terminator doctor who and ash from the evil dead again thank all of you for shopping at our merch store and if you don't shop our merch store thanks for listening to me talk about it in every video you guys rock now this season of loki has also seen the writers really challenge themselves now the first season had a pretty basic premise a couple of outcasts salute a fascist organization that wants to kill them it's like you cross time bandits with brazil a terry gilliam boy by ass but this season is a lot more complex and nuanced. After the death of He Who Remains, the TVA is searching for its purpose. Do they prune or not to prune? And if they're not there to prune, why even maintain the TVA? Now, on a more meta level, this is like Loki the show is going through an identity crisis. The characters aren't sure of their goals, so it may feel like the show is aimless. But for me, this makes the story feel more human. I feel like we're getting to see a lot of characters work through their emotions and question what they want out of life. Loki is still doubting whether or not he can be a hero. You're a villain. And Brad is a TVA worker who goes AWOL and wants a real life. I earned my life. Ravona's discovered that personal power means way more to her than her mission for the TVA. And Sylvie is forced to question her life's purpose. And poor Mobius can't even bring himself to stop seeing the shadows in Plato's cave. You never wanted to visit your place on the timeline? Look, that's the last thing I should be thinking about. And who would have thought that the person with the greatest compassion for variants would be Hunter B-15, the toughest screw who ever did a turn in the TVA. So this season does have a more nuanced story that also tends to grind the show to a halt. This season, as great as it is, features a lot 
gotta go on somewhere and then returning to the TVA, as opposed to season one, where we were always on the move somewhere. There was always a destination, a place for us to go. And I feel like episode two and four of this season have had a lot of starting and stopping, where we're not always 100% sure what the characters want. But the characters are also still working out what they want for themselves. Makes for a more human story, but it can also kind of muddle a six episode narrative. Like, look, the TVA is cool. It looks really cool, but it's not necessarily a place I want to spend a lot of time in, especially in a time travel show where characters can go to any time and place in the entire multiverse. And some of this show feels very rushed, like the TVA rebellion. Like that whole fight at the end of episode two, that could have been stretched out a lot more. We could have gotten to know Docs a little bit better, maybe even sympathize with their views. Now, I do still think that we're going to see a younger Docs because this season is going to show us the past TVA. She tells Brad the warnings were real, so I think we're actually going to see those warnings in the past. But regardless, I'm glad this episode ends with the apparent destruction of the TVA because I'm getting kind of sick of the place. I just feel like this show and a lot of Marvel shows can just use a little bit more breathing room, but there is still so much to love in this show. Majors is a fantastic actor, and episode three was the high point of the season so far. And I love the timey-wimey, twisty logic of the Ouroboros loop. Your work is based on his work, and his work is based on your work. Exactly which came first. It's like a snake eating its own tail. Like, I know this show is not telling a straightforward narrative, and I don't think it has to. I think we will look back on everything after episode six, and it's all going to make sense. And back to what I was saying earlier about how everything in the MCU used to feel like a must-watch, I think that what they're setting up here is the origin of Kang and He Who Remains. But when the Avengers movies roll around, all of this is going to be background information. So if you know the full story, great. And if not, we'll still be able to enjoy the big team-up movie where the Fantastic Four are going to meet Ben Affleck's Daredevil. That's going to happen? Dude, it's the multiverse. Everything is going to happen. So that's my thoughts on the episode. And I got a really big theory about where this is going in the last two episodes I'm going to talk about later on. But first, I have to hear from our good friends Adam Lloyd and... Colton Ogburn. Now, Colton, remember, is the guy who lives in our television. He's trapped there eternally, but he does not know that, so please don't tell him. Welcome, guys. Thanks for joining me. Adam, I want to start with you because you haven't been on here to talk about Loki. You have been on in a while. Matter of fact, uh, congratulations. You're a WGA worker who was on strike. You got a good settlement. Mazel tov. We did. Um, Thank you, guys. What are your thoughts on this episode and the, uh, the show thus far? Oh, man. Uh, well, I'll be honest. Like, if this is how we're going to start phase five, I am into it. Uh, I honestly think that this is probably the best thing I've seen out of Marvel in a very long time. And I just like I said, I'm totally here for it. And it's not just like from a fan point of view. Like I'm looking at it from like, uh, cinematic and directing and the performances it's just all so good this season and i just honestly can't get enough of it especially that last episode which had me like freaking out actually <laughs> yeah and like you said i feel like if this would have come earlier in phase five you know the phase would have been off to an even better start but i get that it had to come after quantumania and things like that because it directly sets it up but for you, what is it specifically about this that makes you, like, really stoked for where the multiverse saga is going? Well, it's, I mean, well, everything about this show, every, every episode that we get, you're always asking new questions. And, like, it's just great TV. I mean, there's comedy, there's mystery, there's horror, there's a love story. And there's just also so many questions that we can now, like, start asking, like, why? And I feel like in the whole big puzzle of Marvel we're finally being able to put some pieces together to see where we're actually going forward. And I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, if this whole entire series ends right where it started at the end of Quantumania. 
And when we got that look into like Victor Timely in the twenties and stuff like that, I feel like we're going to end up somewhere back. That's going to explain maybe why quantum mania did what it did at the end of that movie or what uh, it's setting up for down the road. Sorry. So when you say the end of quantum mania, I know you're not talking about the post credit scene that we saw yeah. in this. Do you mean the council of Kang scene or the end yes. like when Kang was sucked on the problem? Okay. So what do you, what do you mean? Like we may end with that council of Kangs. I think so. Like it would be very interesting for oh, me to see where we I know because you have to remember at the end of that quantum mania, uh, post credit scene, you know, all of them together at that huge, cool looking place that looked like they were outside of all the different timelines. And it you looked had, like it was the palace at the end of time. Yeah, correct, yeah, yeah. Correct, yeah. And then you had Immortus saying, like, uh, they're beginning to touch the multiverse, and we're in it right now, I think. I mean, especially at the end of episode four, um, this is just one of my theories. Like, I think that he who remains must have set some kind of fail safe. Like, if his temporal aura was ever used to reboot or to like fix a problem in a TVA, something would then trigger this huge like reboot that we just saw at the end where everything went to white. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised. It's funny. Yeah, go for it. And funny you should mention that because uh, just yesterday or the day before, I can't remember, uh, Colton wrote a video for us here at Screen Crush that w had a very similar thought about how he who remains temporal aura and he who remains fail safe. Colton, do you wanna like run us through the gist of that theory? about what happened yeah. at the end? Yeah, sure. I, I theorized that the moment we see Victor Timely walk into the uh, temporal loom room and he is turned to spaghetti, I, I think it's important that we look back to Quantumania because, I, I, like you were just saying, Adam, I think that Loki and Quantumania are very closely connected. So, you know, in Quantumania, we saw... What, what did we see when Scott... Uh, got close to the multiversal core. He went into a probability storm, creating variants of himself with various different, like, um, you know, decisions he could have made. So I think that's the same thing we're seeing happening here with Victor Timely. I think that moment that he spaghettified, he may have simultaneously entered a probability storm, creating every version of Kang that there could possibly be. And at the same time, we see the loom explode. So that could have mm -hmm. spread every possible variant across all of time and space. Yeah. Because it basically disperses it. his temporal aura. And it's, right. I think it's, you know, I mentioned this after episode three, but the most important thing I think that happened in episode three was there was a distinction in Chicago between the sacred timeline when they arrive with the book and the branch mm -hmm. timeline, which, so when the event happens. So for whatever reason, that timeline had to branch the TVA had to be destroyed or had to not be operating to allow that timeline to branch for he who remains to come back around again. There's tons of other things that there's tons of other like little tiny mysteries that like I personally as a fan like would just love to see like I think you know Ryan I was talking with you the other day um, about the idea of variants and how I think the MCU going down the line is going to have to explain how a bunch of variants can look the same and how a bunch of other variants can look totally different, like Sylvie and... They're never going to explain that. that. That's the kind of thing that, like, 
in Star Wars would be in a comic book or a novel. No one's ever oh, gonna. They, they would they're have to not figure, thinking it out. They would have to figure it out for themselves. They, well, exactly. Yeah, they, they, they don't us. know. There's no but, plan. <laughs> <laughs> there's, I mean, there's a plan, but it, I don't think that they go through and they uh, specifically will plan out things like that and reasons for that. And True. Code things, but I, I could be wrong about but, that. But that just brings me to my like wildest theories of like, man, I'm watching Ravona Renslayer in this last episode and she has me freaked out. Like I haven't seen someone be so sadistic and angry and mad other than I've seen he who remains or Kang. So that got me thinking was, are they going to make Renslayer a variant of Kang? Like the way Sylvie is to Loki. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there yeah. still, there's still right. a love story there because Loki and Sylvie, you know, they got their thing going on. And we all know in the comics that Ravona and Kang got it going on as well. Yeah. Hey. It kind of reminds me of that line, the Royal Tenenbaums, whenever um, Richie falls in love with his adopted sister, Margot, <laughs> and Gene Hackman. And he's like, well, I don't think it's illegal. We're not related by blood. And Gene Hackman says, still frowned upon. But then what isn't these days, right? Yeah, it's like that clip. So, Colton, uh, what do you think? What were your thoughts on this episode? I, I loved it. I, you know, I've, I've said in previous talkbacks, I, I love season one. I'm loving season two. I, I think this was probably my favorite episode of season two. I loved seeing all the characters together. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I loved seeing Timely and OB meet. When, when he reacts to OB, when he goes, <laughs> when he meets OB, I thought that was so cool. I, you know, drama aside with Jonathan Majors, I don't know what's going on. So, you know, putting that aside, he is brilliant at playing these different versions of the character. Right. And I love that they're exploring that. Yeah, I think he's doing great as Victor. Um, like you said, Adam, the, this series has so many different, like, genres within it it's so funny i the the scene between loki and mobius when they're arguing over whose and turn it is like, and mobius is like it, they all have a helmet on it <laughs> yeah yeah, and, yeah. But, but but mobius goes because this is clearly not me <laughs> that had me laughing <laughs> yeah. it was hilarious um but like you also said dark miss minutes Oh my God! The, I mean, that smile on her face when they were crushing all those people together—it was sick. It was sadistic and honest. Pure. Evil. I do gotta call out. I do gotta call out Marvel and Disney Plus though for just not having the show us the bodies, you cowards. Show us the goo. But like I was gonna ask. Show us the disgusting pile of goo on the ground. Star Wars, right? New Hope, totally a kids movie. We saw the burnt husks of Owen and Aunt Beru. So I. I wanted to see in detail blood, brains. I wanted the roadkill of all those TVA but agents. But credit. Although, I guess they just would have been condensed into a little cube, though, right? Like, isn't that kind of yeah, over it all? But I do want to. I do want to give credit to the actress who plays uh, B fifteen. The reaction yeah, her on her face when she, when she and, walked into that room. It, yeah, and Rafael Casal. Yeah, it told me what I was looking at. I mean, yeah, do you? Yeah. Yeah. and she did the same thing. The scene with the timelines being pruned, right? Mm -hmm. She was yes, so exactly. excellent at that. Like, we're looking at an Atari screen, right? And she totally sold it. Sorry. No, I was going to say a couple things. I was going to wonder, like, do you guys think that that was probably the darkest moment so far in the MCU of the crushing of those innocent people right before our faces? And I... No. Well, it also kind of brings me back <laughs> ahead, to, like, the actress who plays B-15. Um, she She's the only one 
who is giving us the performance of we need to feel bad for these other people that we're not seeing die. <laughs> like she's the one looking at the Atari screen going, those are people when they're pruning all those timelines. Yeah, like the TVA is committing mass genocide right in front of us, you know? And then just what Colton said, when she's looking at the goo on the floor of that compression scene, it's heartbreaking. And it's like, oh, thank you for your performance. The the darkest moment in the MCU is Lila Teeth and Floor. <laughs> That's the darkest You're moment not in the wrong. MCU. You're, I can't even really talk me. about it still. Um, as far as the actor's performance, it's you know what I was talking about earlier um, before you guys came on with the TVA kind of having this identity crisis and trying to figure out like who are we now? You know, last season was such a straightforward message, and this season I feel like has been a little bit more nuanced and the TVA and the characters trying to decide who they want to be. You know, like, why are we worthy of survival is the central question. I think in our Easter egg video, I compared that to Battlestar Galactica, which makes for um, less exciting television. I think that, like, especially in episode two and maybe in this episode, I felt like a little bit of sputter, a little bit of start-stop, and a little bit of, like, the show is itself is having an identity crisis. But, like you guys have both said, there is so much fun theorizing to do. Colton, do you have any fun theories for like where you think this is going to go that we haven't talked about yet? Check out that Kang video. Really happy with that. But it's a really I, good I, one. Yeah, it turned yeah. out pretty great. <laughs> I, I do have another one. I That scene where... Okay, so the whole episode, Sylvie seems uncomfortable. She doesn't really feel comfortable with what's going on. She doesn't know if she should have killed Victor. She just seems uneasy. And the look on her face when Obi and Victor shake hands is just like this look of disgust that I actually didn't catch until the second time I watched it. She seems scared. And then you have that conversation between her and Loki where she says something to the extent of, wouldn't it just be easier to burn this place to the ground and start over? And that to me sounded exactly like Kang or He Who Remains, who did exactly that. Didn't try to repair the broken multiverse, burn the thing to the ground and start it over with his own thing. So to hear Sylvie say, wouldn't it be easier instead of fixing it to just burn it to the ground and start over? And she seemingly didn't even realize that she was sounding like him. And then you have Loki come in and say, well, you know, it, it's the harder thing to do, but it's the right thing to do is to try to fix what's broken. So I think this is, and then you have the great line where he says, we are gods and they have that conversation. I think that was all foreshadowing something we've talked about before, which is I think that these two Lokis are destined to find their glorious purpose, which is overseeing whatever the multiverse looks like come the end of Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars. I do think that that is their purpose and the journey that they're going down. I think that is one of the key reasons that they were chosen as the characters to showcase so much about the multiverse and Kang and all of that. I, I think that's all going to pay off. And then eventually, whenever we do see the MCU reboot or whatever, I, I think that we could see Tom Hiddleston stick around and become like this kind of like omnipotent being that maybe cameos every once in a while as the guy that kind of sees over time. I, I think that'd be really fun. Mm. Well, first of all, you know what you said about Sylvie being the one who says, tear it all down. The reason she's like that, and this is so great, it goes back to the question the show has over free will versus determinism. The reason she is like that is because that is the path he who remains wanted her to fulfill. He wanted her to burn it all down, stab him in the chest, the whole thing starts again. 
Yeah. That is her reason for existing, whether she acknowledges that's the reason she's like that or not, right? Adam, what do you think? Is What, what is your, like, end game for Secret Wars, or where do you think the uh, Well, I kind of agree with Colton. I do. There are some, like, little tiny hints as to, like, Loki and Sylvie maybe becoming the ones to rule over all of time and the multiverse. And that's in, like, the cinematography of what we've already been seeing uh, through episodes one through four. And something I'm going to shout out to, like, I'm going to scream it from the top of my lungs, is there is, like, visual representation of the TVA to me representing a new kind of Asgard for Loki. And I say that with the whole loom area looking like the rainbow bridge to the Bifrost, it shoots something out towards, like, all of time and space. And when I first saw those that shot, you know, Tom Hilton is like lined up right in the center of that frame. And he's also throughout a lot of the show is always dead center in all of these shots. And he has those crown horns over him in uh, Obi's lab, excuse me. So that just kind of like tells me that maybe this is going to finally be the kingdom that Loki gets to rule. And he kind of has to come to that decision himself, I think, because this is a Loki that has gone through a whole entire character arc, like, and it's not our Loki that we have to remember. <laughs> like, this isn't the Loki from the originals that we got to watch and see die in Endgame or Infinity War, excuse me. This is a new Loki who we're all coming to know and love who's going through the motions. He has friends now. He has things to fight for. So I do honestly believe that he would take up that mantle of, well, if something needs to be protected, I'm the only one that's going to be able to do it because he can have finally that empathy towards other people uh, wanting to protect them. And it seems like his no character growth is that he doesn't want a throne, but he, he's still going to be take it, like the re reluctantly accept the mantle of leadership, unless... The villain Loki's still in there, and this has been, and he's still doing exactly what he said all along when he arrived at the TVA. His plan was to overthrow the timekeepers and rule. Might well, still be like that. Well, I think either I mean, way, Odin said it when Loki was a kid. He was destined to be a king, and I, I think that's in him. True. And I, I do think, and could I, I just wanted to add one thing to what you said, Ryan. When you mentioned that Kang is the problem, I think you're exactly right. I recently rewatched Quantumania. Kang says, when Janet asks, like, why is all this happening? Because he says, oh, the multiverse is dying. There's all this going on. And she goes, yeah, but why? And he goes, Who whose fault is it? And he's like, mine. Yeah. And I, I think mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. with your point about leaving the book in the window and all of that, all of this could be avoided if Kang, the original variant, would go down the original path he was meant to, which is probably just to be a brilliant 19th century scientist who, you know, goes down a different path than time travel and, you know, makes some great discoveries and then dies and never has a variant of himself. But he who remains is unable I... to accept that. And that is why... So he can't take the simple path of just letting time flow the way it's supposed to. He, he has to be something more, but then that opens the gate of having to fight himself. And, and I think that's what's so brilliant about Victor Timely, is we see that ambition you know uh, ob says to him he could have been as good as yeah. einstein he was so limited yeah. by the challenge of his time we see that that inner kang that just 
can't have a partner, can't share power, and is desperate to prove himself. And episode three, which is my favorite episode of the season so far, did, did something else really subtly. It acknowledged racism within the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which doesn't happen often, but there's a couple points where he's on stage, there is a shocked gasp when the audience sees a black man on stage. There's a part where he almost says to the white man in the audience, um, I know more than you think. And he adds that in. So there's this element too. I don't think he would have been a scientist. I think that Victor Timely, and that's probably not even his real name, I think Victor Timely would have been a poor candle maker that went to the World's Fair and mm. saw these machines and, and could never right. even hope to achieve that. I, you know, how, how they got off this cycle is what's interesting. How they, how a Kang variant, like initially, I know that when you're dealing with time travel, the, it was always supposed to happen, time travel, it always happened, but there is something that the Avengers are going to do that's going to take He Who Remains off of this path. Adam and Colton, thanks for talking to me. Everybody can find links to their socials right here or in the description below. You should follow both of them on all the things, they are great. So like all of this, the whole saga is leading up to Avengers Secret Wars. Like in the comics, this will be an epic team up where probably every reality has converged into one patchwork planet where all these variants like are existing together. So Tobey Maguire Spider-Man fighting beside Hugh Jackman's Wolverine. We will all feel young again and meet in peace at the end of time. Yay nostalgia. And after that movie, the multiverse will never be a problem again. Just like how the Infinity Stones will never be a problem again after Endgame. Because the problem with the multiverse is Kang. If it weren't for all these Kangs vying for control, then the multiverse would be stable. There would be the occasional character like America Chavez who can travel to other realities, but there would be no universe-destroying incursions if Kang hadn't gotten involved. But this show is showing us that the MCU is on a huge time loop, like He Who Remains said. You plunge your blade in my chest and an infinite amount of me start another multiversal war, and I just end up right back here anyways. Now remember, the key part of He Who Remains' plan was for Ravona to get the TVA manual to young Victor Timely. Somehow, this is the event that leads to the creation of He Who Remains. If not for this event, Victor Timely never becomes an inventor, and he dies a poor candle maker. Now we have theorized that Timely's going to return as Kang and become He Who Remains. Or maybe, like Colton said, Timely is scattered across the timeline, creating all of the different Kang variants. Either way, one thing is clear. If that book doesn't go through the window, then there is no Kang. So the Avengers are going to have to find a way to break this time loop, and the only way to break the loop is to, as Daenerys says, break the wheel. I think that in the Kang Dynasty, the Avengers will find a way to basically stop the handbook from going through that window. But the book going through the window has become a canon event, like they call it in Spider-Verse, or an absolute point in time, like they called it in What If. Stopping this event will create a paradox that causes the multiverse to collapse in on itself. Then, just like in the comics, they the heroes, or Kang, form Battle World out of the remains of the multiverse. So then the Avengers will be on this patchwork planet with the one remaining variant, Victor Timely, aka Kang, aka He Who Remains. Right, they're the same guy? Yes, I do think they're gonna end up being the same person. I think that all of this started because of Timely's desire to be hailed as the greatest scientist of his age. So, I mean, He Who Remains could have just not given his younger self the journal and saved everybody a lot of time and bloodshed. He Who Remains could have let his past self die a young candle maker, but that is 
the one thing he could never do because he has to feed his ego. Yeah, but then what's all this leading to? Well, I think the end game here is going to be that they're on Battle World, they defeat Kang, and just like in the 2015 Secret Wars comic, the heroes are going to like restart the multiverse, but this new multiverse is going to take elements from several different universes. Basically, it's going to be a soft reboot of the MCU. And in this new universe, there's going to be Deadpool, there's going to be X-Men, the Fantastic Four, Spider-Man. Basically, all the heroes they've kind of put here and there in different places will now just exist in this reality. This would also give us a chance to maybe see Dr. Octopus for the first time. Not the Alfred Molina version, but a new version that would be like native to the MCU. At least, that's what I hope is going to happen. What do you think is going to happen? What did you think of episode four? Let me know your thoughts down in the comments below or at me on Twitter. And if it's your first time here, please subscribe, smash that bell for alerts. For Screen Crush, I'm Ryan Airy.